get that uh, Bible passage open. Why don't we uh, pray for God's help to hear his word this morning. Please join me. Father, we do thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your merciful words of warning in the Bible. And we ask that this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to submit to you and your word and to reorder the priorities of our heart around your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. I showed a picture of my family early. Here's another one. Uh, It's coming up. Uh, This is me. I'm one of six uh, kids. uh, And the front two uh, are my youngest siblings. Believe it or not, uh, Zoe and Alexander, they're still in school. Uh, They are Archie's uncle and auntie. And uh, a few years ago, one Sunday, uh, they came back from uh, church. Uh, It was a different church to this one. And during the lesson, similar to my crew story, uh, the teacher had got them to write a letter to God. And so they came back home and they were quite excited and they had their envelopes. And uh, on the front of their envelope, they'd written the address, heaven. And uh, they showed it to my mom. And uh, she was talking to Zoe about this, and she said, Zoe, how are you going to deliver this letter to heaven? And she thought about it, and she said, oh, well, Alexander and I, we were just going to give it to the postman. And uh, my mum said to her, yeah, but Zoe, how's the postman going to get it to God? And she thought about this for a little while, and then she said, oh, man, we're going to have to kill the postman. (laughs) We didn't see it coming. Uh, Well, this morning in Luke 12, Jesus' parable is about a rich man and he didn't see something coming either. Not funny words, but unexpected words. Words to sum up his whole life from God himself. Uh, Today's message is about life's priorities, and there are so many things that are important in our life, aren't there? So many demands on our time. Uh, Today, the big question I want to ask you is this. I want you to ask yourself, how do I know whether my life's priorities are the right ones? This morning, it's my hope that Jesus' parable, which you just heard, would be a challenge to each one of us the way it's been a challenge to me from a young age and continues to challenge me to this day. Uh, You'll need your Bible, if you're writing notes or following on the outline, three points. Point one, an intentional man. Point two, a man whose priorities were wrong. And point three, God's perspective on what matters most in our life. We're going to move through quite quickly, and then at the end, I hope to just spend a bit of time sharing personally and a little more practically. Uh, Come with me. Uh, Point one. uh, Someone got a page number just to shout it out? Okay, same as this one. 1484. Uh, Look with me there at verse 15, an intentional man. Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The issue of what life consists of when it comes up when a man's standing in a very large crowd, 
Uh, We're told in verse 1 of the chapter of thousands of people asks Jesus to settle in an argument over an inheritance. It's been said somewhere by someone that where there's a will, there's a family. Look back a verse or two, 13. Someone in a crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Uh, Throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus is very intentional. He keeps helping those around him to have a right vision of life, to be more aware of God and the future and their life. And we see this perhaps most clearly through his constant theme in Luke's gospel of the kingdom of God in his teaching. And this story in Luke 12 is no different. This man, the parable, and the section that follows immediately after centers on life. Glance down with me, verse 15. Life does not consist. Verse 20. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded. Verse 22. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Verse 23. Life is more than food. Verse 25. Who of you by worrying, can add a single hour to your life. Last year, Jess and I, uh, we were on holidays and uh, we got to explore, not the whole year, at a various point, and, uh, and uh, we got to explore this very cool hedge maze uh, coming up. Now, it was, uh, it was not huge, but it took an unusually long time to navigate exactly all the way into the middle and then to try and find your way out again afterwards. And of course, afterwards, when you were up from a high vantage point, you could kind of see down and it made so much more sense why we'd uh, taken so long to get out. Well, Jesus comes down from heaven and as he's teaching in Luke's gospel, he has a top-down vision in mind. And back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Luke has already told us Jesus' direction. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus very intentionally looked ahead to the cross and the very reason for which he came into the world. Confronted here in verse 13 of chapter 12, Jesus isn't going to be drawn into a family dispute, but he does have something to say, something helpful. Verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And Jesus tells the crowd around him a parable about a different kind of intentional man. It's very simple, but quite astounding as well. Look at it briefly again with me, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. The man was intentional about his life. He was a problem solver. He was a planner. He had priorities. And isn't that the type of person we all want to be like? 
Notice verse 16. The man is already rich. We don't know how he came to be rich. Presumably he was hardworking. But the story is not that he was poor and then he became rich one day. The story is that he was rich and then one day he got even richer. He has a bumper crop. What does he do? He doesn't want it ruined just sitting out in the rain. He shows initiative. He's forward planning, forward thinking. He doesn't want to be wasteful. He sets out some priorities. He's a man of action. He's an intentional man. And who doesn't want to be a person like that? Point two, a man whose priorities were wrong. Look at verse 20 with me. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The rich man's life's priorities had devastating consequences for his soul. And a punchline comes with one stark word from God to the man. Idiot. To the world he was very wise, but in God's eyes, this man was a complete fool. Why, though? He's a fool because his number one priority was being rich toward who? Toward himself. In fact, he lived as though God wasn't there. Did you notice who was prominent in verses 17 to 19? Glance at it with me. The man thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. There I'll store all my grain and my goods. I'll say to myself, me, me, my, my, I, I. Not even a mention of God. Instead, this guy, he spent time thinking about himself, building for himself and talking to himself. Like the fool in Psalm 14 in the Old Testament who says, there's no God. This man shows he hasn't understand life, understood life at all. He thought he was self-sufficient. Actually, he was just self-centered. His life priorities were wrong. His priorities were wrong for another reason, because he lived as if he'd never die. He had a great plan mapped out, but that night, God demanded his life from him. Which reminds you and I, we don't know how long we will live. The Bible over and over reminds us life is very brief. Wrong priorities because he made himself number one. Wrong priorities because he lived as if he'd never die. And third, wrong priorities because he lived storing up what can't last. Forward a slide or two. I'm the proud, uh, proud husband of Sydney's best occupational therapist down the front here, uh, and I frequently hear from Jess horror stories, next slide, of home visits to hoarders' houses. Now, this isn't from one of her home visits. She's not allowed to show me photos, but I always think, how can I always, how can someone live like that? And yet, within a, uh, about a month's time or within a week or a few days, Jess will catch me saying the hoarders' motto, I'm hanging on to it because it could be useful someday. Well, for this man, stuff 
was all that mattered. He's hoarding it up, but it won't last. And verse 20 ends with the ironic question from God to the man, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Well, what should he have done instead? Point three, God's perspective on what matters most in our life. Verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. I think it was William Carey who spent many years as a missionary in India who said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. God has a perspective about what matters most in our lives. And notice what Jesus immediately goes on to say to his disciples below. He reassures them as Luke 12 goes on, not to worry about what the world worries about, not to worry about food and fashion. Our Father in heaven knows what his people needs. Jump down if you've got your Bibles open to verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A few years ago, I was part of a, a Sydney Uni mission team in December, and we went, travelled down to Canberra with a team, partnered with a church plant down there, and we were visiting on a Friday night, playing a youth game with the youth kids on one of the ovals. And the game was called Fresher. Now, if you haven't heard it, it's a bit like tag, but it's got a bit more to it. Uh, you run from either side of the oval against each other in two teams. But whoever leaves the line first is more fresh than the other person, so they can tag them. So when you're out in the middle, you're kind of in this game of chicken, working out, like, are you fresher than me or not? And I remember uh, I had a moment where one of the leaders on my mission team started sprinting towards me, and I was out in the middle. And I'm like, oh, he's really confident. I think he's fresher than me. So I spun around, started running away, but still looking at him. And then finally, I was close to my line. I turned back and... <laughs> my cheekbone, a little 10-year-old's skull, he was fine. His head was really solid. My cheek, I was vomiting in Canberra Emergency Hospital for the night. For the next 10 months, I'd lost nerve sensation down my face. Uh, a warning about the collision course I was on would have been much appreciated. In Luke 12, Jesus is very gracious, very kind. He does warn us when we're on a collision course. Beware and be wise. Don't store up in the wrong place. Instead, be rich toward God. Well, what does it actually mean to be rich toward God? Some personal reflections and implications. Uh, last year, I was on a post-college ministry retreat uh, with a few other guys and girls, and we had Simon Manchester come and speak to us for a few days. Simon's recently retired from a long stint as rector at St. Thomas's North Sydney he spoke up at CMS Summer School this year, as some of you already know. But he asked us a question. How many people do you know today who are on fire for Christ? 
and he let the question sit in a room full of people who are in churches and different ministry organizations. And then he said, it's my observation that many are still lukewarm. That's a prayer I've been praying to God lately, that he would make me on fire for Christ. And I share it because it might be a helpful prayer for you too. I chose this Luke 12 passage because thinking about it, chewing over it, it gets my spiritual temperature up and I need that. Jesus reminds me of my death. He reminds me of heaven and hell. He reminds me that I will give an account one day. I don't know what your inner dialogue's like, but if you're sinful like I am as I prepared for this message, you thought of someone else this parable applies to, somebody richer than you. I remember having a big wow moment uh, a couple of years back when I was at Sydney Uni in one of the Christian campus group public meetings, and Rowan Kemp, who heads up the staff team, uh, he threw up this website coming up, and it gave us just a bit of a global perspective on Australian wealth compared to the rest of the world, and you could throw in your income, or you could throw in uh, how much savings you've got. At the time, I was on a fully fundraised minimum Australian wage for a ministry trainee full-time. And it still put me in the top 2% richest people in the world. And that made me think, I need to really pay attention to what Jesus says about money. Because it's not my money, it's God's money, isn't it? Well, just going back over quickly in point one, we'll go blank screen. Uh, We saw Jesus warn in verse 15, Watch out, be on guard. When I was two years out of school, I mentioned that I worked in an office job for a few years and I made a series of very foolish investments. Investments. Uh, I was working in an office job. I had a colleague, colleague who during his lunch breaks would invest money in stock trading, uh, but day trading. Uh, and so he spent a bit of time reading forums about stocks and things that were moving very quickly. And he showed me one afternoon how he very quickly made $600. And I kind of did the math and thought, well, what do I earn every hour? And it kind of sucked me in. It sounded great. I, I, and so I, I threw in some savings as well, set up an account, uh, and one afternoon made a lot of money really quickly. Um, and he kind of showed me that if you le- leverage a bit more, you'll get a bit more. And so I did that. Um, it felt great. I went home for work really happy that day, that week. Uh, I did it a bit more. Uh, one day... It didn't pay off. One day, the, the stock that I'd thrown in a lot, thousands of money into, of savings, um, went down, and then it stayed down, and then it got stocked down, and my anxiety went up as each day I would kind of log in and check, where is it going? I was very impatient, and I was very greedy. I was just a young man, not investing, gambling. And I wanted more money quickly because I wanted to get engaged to Jess Young. And I had to confess my sin and repent of it. I had to uh, make a personal decision. This was for me. Uh, I'm not going to trade in a stock market that I don't know anything about. You see, there's a real danger that goes on inside all of us 
in regards to this topic. And so I want you to determine yourself today, this week, examine your own heart for greed. In point two, we saw three ways the rich man was foolish. First, he had wrong priorities because he made himself priority number one. One of the things Jess and I noticed last year in our family life was that very, very quickly, we developed a habit of regular weekenders. Uh, for the first, uh, for me, it was the first year, or for us, first year out of Bible college. We were no longer student ministers uh, needing to work on Sunday. And so we had all our weekends back. And we had relatives who said, go, stay up. We've got an apartment up the coast whenever you want. And so in the first half of 2019, we kept heading up there. Not for planned holidays. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, on Sunday we'd go to the church. It was a good one, EV. But... We got to the second half of last year and God convicted us. Something needed to change because we were prioritizing our leisure over being committed here to this church. We were prioritizing us and our family and our rest over getting to know you and being known by you. And we want this year to shift that so that our family shows that we're not priority number one. God is. And his people are. So let me ask you, what are your priorities? Your family's priorities? How often does church get missed for leisure? How often do you think about life's plans, weekends, Sundays, holidays, all as being under Jesus' lordship? Are there things you think about, pray about? Are there things you tell people when you think, I need some accountability here? Second, we saw how the rich man lived as if he'd never die or be held accountable. I didn't serve much at church last year. I had lots of great excuses, um, lots of change going on, new job, new role, very cute baby, but he didn't sleep well at all. Uh, I remember last year in July, we were in a crew staff retreat some days away and we were chatting and I was talking to a first-year trainee and a very simple share question came up. How are you serving at church at the moment? I needed a wake-up call. On my honeymoon a few years back, uh, I was reading uh, the book, a very small book, um, The Cambridge Seven. Uh, ironically, it was by the poolside in some resort. Uh, and it's about missionaries. Uh, and I was an avid cricket lover. And I remember being particularly struck by a story about C.T. Studd. He played cricket for England. He inherited a sizable fortune. But hearing Hudson Taylor speak about the mission field in China made him so captivated for God's kingdom. Before he got married in conversation with his fiancée, he sold his whole inheritance. He resigned from the professional cricket side. He got married he followed Taylor out onto the mission field. Why, in his own words, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. How are you serving at church this year? She, I've stuck my hand up and said, youth group, bring it on, Friday nights at the end of a work week. Uh, there's lots of different people in this building. You have different responsibilities to me, different skills, different time allowances. 
different capacities, different bank balances, different resources. But the point is, you don't just have them, you've been given them. Unlike the rich man, thank God for what you've been given and consider how am I stewarding what God has given me. Third, we saw how the rich man foolishly stored up what won't last. For a bit over a year now, since leaving Newtown in college, Jess and I have been living with her parents. They've had a spare room in their house and generously invited us to stay and save and uh, save up for a deposit to live somewhere in Sydney. I tell you what, this passage, the last few weeks and months, has been really helpful for pushing me on some of these issues to wrestle through how does God's word impact my life and wrestle with tricky, tough questions. Like in Luke's gospel, is Jesus anti-possessions? And does a Christian need to be poor? And should a Christian just give all their stuff away? Now, there's lots of texts that we could flick through. We could go to 1 Timothy 6, for example. For time, we won't today. But again, surely the principle, we've seen it already in verse 34, has to do with our hearts. For Jess and I, one way we've tried to guard our heart as we save for a deposit is to be very wary about how much debt we consider taking on and counterintuitively to keep giving even as we save. Keep giving to mission, to church, to ministry trainees, to mission aid, to children in poverty. Are we perfect at it? No way. And the list makes it sound better than it is. Not by a long shot. In preparing for this Sunday, uh, I checked out the start of the year uh, balances and, and what occurred to me was my giving to this church is lower than our income and what we wanted it to be. What about you? Are you practicing giving and have you checked it in a while? My grandpa coming up, uh, Arthur, for me has been a lasting example in this area. To the day he died, he considered carefully every request for money that came his way. He didn't have much, but from what he had, he kept on giving. Are you investing in kingdom ministry that lasts? For your sake, for your soul's health, do you need to divest some of your wealth elsewhere? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Blank slide. Lastly, in point three, we thought about God's perspective on what matters most in our life, and briefly, the challenge not to be storing up ourselves, but to be rich toward God. But why? So easy up the front to uh, pretend to be something better than you are, or to make those listening feel somewhat like a guilt trip. Why? What's the motivation for being rich toward God? Surely it's the gospel, isn't it? God doesn't need our money. We don't earn God's favor by being rich toward him. He's gracious. For our sakes, Jesus left his crown for a cross, his throne for a grave. The gospel is, what's motivate, the gospel is what motivates our life's priorities. For seven or eight years now, just a little bit before Jess and I got married, uh, as a part of resetting for the year in January, uh, we made it our goal to try and hold fast to the word of life. 
One example of that has been to hold on to a particular Bible verse together throughout the year. And in the past, we've used Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord. John 15, 4 and 5, I am the vine. Last year, it was Lamentations 3, 22, the Lord's mercies are new every morning. I share this because you might like to consider doing something similar if you uh, are into goals and things like that. Well, this year, our verse, and it will throw up, uh, is from Luke 12, verse 20 to 21. And Jess has put together a reminder for us. We want to be rich toward God because he has been incredibly rich toward us. As I close, can I challenge you in 2020, make it your aim to be rich toward God. Let me pray for us. Father, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was yet rich, yet for your sake, for our sake, he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Thank you, Lord, and help us to be on fire for Christ in every way we can. Amen.